Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. We're going to dive right into this really interesting passage. Uh, as you know, some of you know, if you've been with us, we are in a, a series through the Gospel of Luke, really putting our attention on the earthly ministry of Jesus. And today we're going to look at this key moment that's uh, discussed in different ways in each of the four Gospels, where Jesus is rejected in his hometown of Nazareth. Every gospel alludes to this happening in some way or other. But I'm going to start right out this morning and just bring up a question that might come to your mind if you've read through some of these accounts before. So we're going to start with a question. We notice in Luke that the placement of this rejection of Jesus in Nazareth is in a different place than Matthew and Mark have placed it chronologically. And I'm just going to come right out of the gate and say, what, what do we do when we see things like that? That doesn't make sense all the time. Why would it be different? And what do we do with differences like that? And I think it's important that as we study scripture, we don't shy away from questions like that. Things that might make us take pause and say, I'm not really sure if I understand why that would happen. Let's talk about it. It's actually a really cool opportunity to briefly discuss a reminder about the role of the gospels in the Bible. So there are four Gospels, for those of you who may not be familiar with the Bible, uh, the four Gospels are four different accounts of the earthly ministry of Jesus. And they're a different category than the rest of the books of the Bible. And these four different Gospels are written by four different authors. And so those people, God has used them in Holy Scripture, uh, along with the Holy Spirit, to be four different emphasis, different order. And it's not about precise chronology. They're bringing that, what that means for us. Difference doesn't make anybody wrong. It allows this ancient literature to serve its own purpose in telling truth. A simple example that you might experience that would make this make more sense is let's say that a whole bunch, let's say all of us attended a wedding right here and the wonderful reception after, we had a great time, and then we all walked up the next day to somebody, the same somebody, and told them our account of this beautiful event. We would emphasize different things. We might put the events in a different order. That's okay, nothing's wrong. But we do actually pause to say, well, why, why the difference here? Why for Luke did he put this right up towards the beginning, the launch of Jesus's public ministry? The prophet was clearly rejected at his hometown because it was important enough for all four gospels to allude to it in some different way. So Luke here seems to take this moment and place it towards the beginning because he seems to see it as a microcosm, a, a summary of what all is about to take place. And we see that that's true, all that's about to come in this little, uh, this brief moment. So we see the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Remember, we just were at the baptism where the spirit of the Lord descended on Jesus in the form of a, do a dove. So yes, that just happened. And then he goes and says and promises these things are about to happen. And in Luke's narrative, like they're all about to, healings, release from captivity, all of this stuff, it's gonna happen, boom, boom, boom. So it's like a mini version and of course, the rejection. 
which here happens at Nazareth. But we know that that's the, that's the repeated story that will happen to Jesus through his ministry by people who he was there to give good news to. Some would reject him to the point of even going to the cross. So Luke seems to set this up. One commentary uh, put it this way, which I thought was great. Luke kind of uses it as a decorative illustration facing a book's title page. So if you look at it like a picture, this is all of what's about to happen and then goes forward and the things come to pass. So where we are in the Gospel of Luke, uh, we have a a progression here. And so we've been through the birth and we're, we're in this moment where Luke sort of sets up the launch of the public ministry now. Jesus is approximately 30 years old. And when we look, it's really great to go through a book slowly and look at the passages deeply week to week. But it's also important to sort of pan out and remember where we are. So last week we talked about how Jesus, after his baptism, and went for 40 days into the wilderness. Now, you're an early reader of the book of of the Gospel of Luke or the accounts of Jesus. As soon as you hear things like 40 and wilderness, this is an immediate point back to the echo of the Old Testament. This is the story of God bringing freedom for the captives, the nation of Israel, slaves in Egypt. And God brings amazing liberation and freedom followed by 40 days in the desert, in the wilderness, wandering, okay? So when we hear that as, as uh, people who, who know the Jewish scriptures, that's an immediate echo. And so that's just fresh in our mind here. We sort of think, oh, 40, wilderness, there's something familiar. But something new seems to be happening here in an old, ancient, familiar kind of language. Something's up. Not new, but an old story. What is happening new? Does that make sense? Like you kind of live in that echo. And so that's where we are in this scripture. I'll pick it up in 14, verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the spirit and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. Quick map moment for those who like maps. Remember, Nazareth is a smaller town. You'll see it kind of like, you know, center up. Uh, smaller town in the hill country to the west of the Sea of Galilee. And so he's been in that area around the Sea of Galilee in like Capernaum. We know he was there. These are more hustly bustly towns. And the news is spreading, including back to his small sort of out of the way hometown of Nazareth. And so he returns back and they've already heard his neighbors, the people who knew him growing up, they've been hearing that stuff's been going on. They're kind of excited to to see this in person. So verse 16, he went back to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where our passage is written. So just to get us into this space a little bit, uh, the Sabbath, this was his custom to go to his local synagogue. Now that's different than the temple in Jerusalem. Remember, the people of Israel were always marked in part by the presence of God in their midst. But after exile, they had been spread out. And so they couldn't all be near the holiest of holies, the, the, the temple, high, high temple in Jerusalem. They couldn't be there. And so what they were doing on the Sabbath is they would go to their local synagogue. 
Now, this wasn't a big fancy thing, especially in a town like Nazareth. It may not even be like this is a church every day. It may have just been a gathering place that served another purpose. Uh, in some towns, it may have been open air. Like we don't even know. It wasn't about the location. The holy location was the temple in Jerusalem. But the synagogue was the gathering place of the faithful people. And they would come together and uh, somebody, there would be a, a leader who sort of led the order of, of worship or whatever, and they would allow people to come, respected people, and they would come and you would stand up and read a scripture, and then you would sit down and expound on the scripture. That was sort of the way that that conversation happened. And so Jesus is the one who's been invited on this day to teach and to expound on scripture. So we know that, that Jesus, as well as his community, have been seeped in holy scriptures that we now call the Old Testament for their whole life. And remember, we're in our old, as readers now of Luke, we're in that Old Testament echo feeling already, right? And, and Jesus, in this moment, opens up to the book of the prophet Isaiah. And Jesus says this, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is Isaiah 61, 1 to 2, and then I think the second verse is 58, but I can't remember where in Isaiah. So it would have been okay for him to take, which one is it, Shannon? Six. Six. 58, six. Oh, that was good. Thank you. Um, anyway, so he, he's taking from this scroll and he's saying, now this can be interpreted to be me. You all know this story and it's happening now. Now we have to picture ourselves sitting in this gathering as faithful Jews who have been listening to these scriptures for our whole lives, who've been studying them, hearing them, because they, they were in the scroll. Not everybody had their own Bible, but you've been hearing them. You've been sitting under the teaching of these scriptures for so long, and you are in exile. Now it's the Roman Empire, but this has happened, and now you're saying, you're pointing me back, this Old Testament echo to this promise being fulfilled, and you know the fuller version of what Isaiah says, and you're thinking to yourself, yes, please, I long for this to come to pass. We've been waiting. Yes, God's favor. Yes, we know this passage. But then here comes the controversial claim. Verse 20, he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down, and the eyes of everybody were fastened on him because he was about to start teaching. This is the moment where you guys are like, okay, now we're going to sit, and we're going to listen, and we're going to process what's being said. Same thing, very similar to what we do here. You know what's coming when I stand up and come to forward after someone's read the Holy Scriptures. You have an idea. And then Jesus says this, today the Scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That's it. You guys know the story. I'm telling you now it's time. It's an amazing moment. And this is interesting. We go on. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. Here, it's interesting. That observation doesn't seem negative. In Matthew and Mark, it feels a little bit more negative the way that they say it. Hold on. Isn't that Joseph and Mary's son? That's the tone that, that, that those authors seem to give. And I was pausing in this a little bit. Again, let's ask the question, what gives? I think the answer is both and probably changing. Remember, it's a gathering of maybe, let's just guess, 100 people, right? Maybe very similar to how we are in this room right now. Think of us here. Let's just pretend 
please, big, big asterisk side note. I am not comparing what I'm about to say to the words of Jesus, nor am I saying that I, nothing like that at all, but I'm just using an example, and I happen to be the one speaking. Okay, let's just pretend that I stand up here, and I say in front of all of us, I've got this amazing idea, you guys. We're gonna do this thing. And later on, somebody records your responses as this. And everyone said, well, that was a great idea. That's how it's written on the paper. And some of you are like, well, that was a great idea. And others of you were like, that's a great idea. <laughs> that's maybe what's happening here. This is the same observation, tone matters. And you know what else could happen? You could be on one of those sides now, and after you sit with it a little bit, you swap. And you say the same thing, but with a different tone that means something else. So I think we're work I think in this moment, we see people working on it, pondering with an observation, and the tone maybe changes. We see that the tone changes, even though at first, Luke is showing that as like a positive thing. And I also think the same thing about the statement, the observation, probably different deductions from the same statement. This is Mary and Joseph's son, or Joseph's son is recorded here. That's an observation. How they think about that comes out maybe in their tone and probably changes as they continue to process what he just said. In all cases, I think that the way that I would say, I'm uh, sorry, Matthew and Mark kind of have it be like, that's Joseph's son, he's nothing special. That's like the implication in those accounts right away. This one starts with, he's Joseph's son. We got the inside track, we know him. That's the implication here, but they all get to the same place. So wherever you are on processing, hey, that's a great idea, or huh, oh, that's a great idea, you're getting to the same place in the end. It's just that the, this one seems to have a different tone at first, where they are um, still uh, honoring him and hopeful at this point in his account of it. But in all four Gospels, it gets to rejection. And in all four Gospels, Jesus says that a prophet isn't honored in his hometown. So maybe for some, it is doubt. It's just this guy we've always known. Who does he think he is? We, we've known him forever. The prophet and the hometown statement that is made in all four Gospels might be similar to our, um, is it an adage? Like familiarity breeds contempt. It might be something similar to, to that kind of feeling because he says it in all of them. Like you, you think you know a person and it becomes harder to expect that that person might do something extraordinarily different than what you've always seen and known him to do. On the other side, it seems here we've got some people who are starting out with a false assumption of a benefit to them because they know him first, this heal your own first. So Jesus in verse 23 goes on to say, surely you'll quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we've heard you did in Capernaum. So apparently this physician heal yourself is a proverb that was known in both Greek and Jewish cultures. My version of translating it would be something akin, have you ever been on a flight before and the, and the flight attendant says, put on your own mask before helping those around you? You know, that's, I think it's something similar to that. It's basically seeming to mean, uh, but now extended to your people, like take care of your own. First, and that's what they're apparently thinking that he is going to do. Justo Gonzalez uh, explains this a little bit by saying, like, Jesus understands what the situation is. They're probably really proud of him. You know, like, we've, do you guys have like an NFL player who came from your hometown or something? You're kind of like, yeah, he's from my hometown. I never met him, but like, you know, you're just, you're proud. It's your hometown person, and, and now they're a big deal. So they're probably proud. They probably expect him to do for them what he's done for people. They've, he's already been doing this in other villages. And they're like, yes, it's our turn. He's back here. It's going to happen here. 
But when quoting this proverb, we see Jesus saying, like, you, you guys, you don't have any special claim on me. That's, that's not what this, this whole thing is about. It's not about anyone having a special claim. The neighbors don't have an inside track to his favor or his wonderful powers. And we know this by the interesting example he gives right after. I won't read this, but he goes on, and starting in verse 24, to talk about these two prophets, Elijah and Elisha, which the two E's. I'm going to call them the two E's because their names are similar. And he, he quotes, these are Old Testament prophets who were like famous miracle workers as well. People anointed for a moment by the Spirit of God and they did amazing, amazing things throughout their lives and their ministries, right? But out of all that they did, Jesus interestingly here talks about two moments when they served enemies of Israel. A widow and her son who were not part of the nation of Israel and I'm sure there are plenty of widows in Israel could have used that same help during the famine, but uh, Elijah chose a woman who was not part of, uh, of the people of Israel. And then secondly, the Elisha example is uh, help to a commander of the enemy army. So uh, Joel Green says this, it's important to note neither of the scriptures nor the current narrative presents these prophetic figures as programmically, anyway, they're, they're not all about Gentiles. That's not like the purpose of what Jesus is saying. That's not true. But they're also in their scriptures, the, the stories about them. They're not portrayed as being specifically uh, turning their backs on Israel. That wasn't the point of either of their stories. But in Jesus's address, the role of Elijah and Elisha as agents of healing and therefore God's grace includes outsiders. And that's the paramount thing. So out of all the miracle stories of these two, Jesus picks two examples. And it's like, this was for outside of the nation of Israel. And verse 28, the people of the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, they drove him out of town, they took him to the brow of a hill. Is that, is it a brow? I was reading it in a different version this week. Um, Where the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. So anyone who was thinking the, the good tone at first has all changed their mind now. Everyone is the same tone. Well, that was a great idea. We've all fallen to that side now. And they go with complete rejection to throw him off a cliff. So let's look again at what has just been promised. What did he say was going to come to fruition? Quoting the book of Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. We already know that that's true. We watched that happen. We know the spirit of the Lord is upon Jesus and that God has just anointed him with God's good favor. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus is going to proclaim good news to the poor. Spiritual and physical poverty, the ones who are just most in need, I am going to give them good news. Anyone, outcasts, and this is true, we're about to watch it happen. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, uh, the, the demon possessed, who are prisoners in their own body are literally about to find release through Jesus. It's going to be miraculous. Recovery of sight for the blind. Literally, he heals blind people. And figuratively, the, the eyes are opened to the spiritual truth of Jesus for some. That comes to pass. And eventual forgiveness for the oppressed, uh, the, set the oppressed free. That's forgiveness. That's spiritual and physical healings. All of it. And to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. To usher in God's kingdom a fulfillment of ancient promises. You guys, do you see the package of what's saying is about to happen? This whole package is on their doorstep and they reject him because they're not gonna get 
any special favors in that big God-sized plan. When they say they throw him off a cliff, I wanna just point this out. Number one, you can't throw someone off a cliff to kill them execution style in their world without a trial. They have not had a trial. Number two, you cannot do this, even if you've had a trial, on the Sabbath. And we know it's the Sabbath. Number three, they're under Roman law. You can certainly not do it without the Roman governor's approval. Everybody knows there's no throwing people off a cliff without permission and trial on the Sabbath. It's like a known thing. They're acting like a lynching mob. They're like, that's their level of out of their head fury at what's just been said. That's a really big change in tone. Remember that illustration uh, next to the title page that Luke is using here. We've got empowered by the spirit, all these realities of ministry is happening, and then rejection, rejection. And Jesus is gonna face rejection time and time again. This is a microcosm of all that's about to happen in the story that will unfold. We know, though, that prophets are often rejected. Remember Simeon, uh, you might remember from the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, uh, Mary and Joseph go to the temple, and this man, Simeon, who's a prophet, comes up, and he just knows because he's a prophet of the Lord. That baby is the Messiah, right? And he affirms what Mary and Joseph know in their hearts already. And when he does that, he says this of little baby Jesus, he will be the rising and falling of many in Israel and will be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed. Simeon already said, ooh, he's not gonna be everybody's favorite. We knew that this would happen. Passage is, this passage is ripe with prophetic fulfillment. And one of the things that does when we hear an echo that speaks something like prophetic fulfillment, and we know it again and again, we can take all of the stories that we know of the prophets and we can remember this. God is not surprised by his people who he loves rejecting his prophets. God is not surprised. This is not a new plot line. And also this, Jesus is not surprised at all when his message is rejected by the very people he has meant to bless, to sharpen, to refine, to redeem, to draw back close to God's heart. They reject him. He's not surprised when it doesn't go the way that they thought it was gonna go. And so then they reject him. That's what it's like to be a prophetic voice of God sometimes. So I'm gonna take just a little moment and I'm gonna speak why I think Jesus knew full on that he was gonna be rejected and it's all over the place in the book of Isaiah. The whole passage, remember, if, if you've been seeped in scripture, think of it this way, for your whole life, like these people in this, in this gathering have been, right? They've been listening to scripture. Let's pretend for those of you, it, it's, you guys, it's totally okay if you've never read your Bible and you don't know what I'm talking about, just hear the example. But for some of you who have been seeped in scripture, if I say, uh, abide in me, you think Jesus is the vine, I am the branches, God's gonna prune. You know a fuller version with a little bit. If I say, remember, don't worry about anything, but in everything pray, and you think, yes, think about what's true and right and trustworthy and noble, you can fill in when I give a snippet. If I say, oh, I just wanna remind you like the Lord is your shepherd, you might be able to conjure up immediately a meadow with still water and laying peacefully there from Psalm 23. You know, if you've been seeped in scripture, I can give you a snippet 
and you remember. It points to a bigger passage, right? So that's what I want us to remember here. And we didn't, I didn't put it on a, a slide on purpose because they wouldn't have slides. And so I want you to hear the fuller version, just a snippet from what Jesus grabbed from, okay? This is what they knew was being fulfilled if what he said was true. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Yes, please, that sounds nice. To proclaim freedom for the captives, release from darkness for the prisoners. This is the fuller version from what Jesus grabbed from. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. It goes on and on, you guys, and it sounds so refreshing. It sounds so good. That's the whole story that Isaiah said was being fulfilled right here. But the whole of Isaiah is a big plot line of God's story. I, you guys, if you haven't done it already, I really, really encourage you to take 15 minutes out of your week and go search the Bible project, Isaiah. And when it looks like the picture on the top left is one of two, click on that. The Bible project is amazing, by the way. And it will give you, just watch it. It'll only take 15 minutes, the two parts. But what it does is it tells the entire plot line. And here's the deal. When Jesus speaks this part of the plot, the hearers remember the whole plot, the ark, as told by the prophet Isaiah, right? And the whole ark starts off like, people, you have strayed. You have strayed and you need to come back. There's judgment for those who have strayed but for a purpose, judgment for a purpose, so that people can be refined and purified, so that hope could come through them for the nations. This whole plot line has all been told would come to pass in this book of Isaiah, right? And Isaiah says that when the time has come, the purification is happening, a king from the line of David, Emmanuel, God with us, and Isaiah also says he's going to be a suffering servant and he will face rejection willingly so that the faithful can be redeemed and made right with God so that all nations can be blessed as was God's intended design. He chatted about it with Abraham a long time ago. This has always been the plan. But rejection, Isaiah says, is going to be part of the plan. But the scope of the prophecy was and is still, it's huge. There's no favorites. Here's the thing about Isaiah that is fascinating to remember. Isaiah wrote his prophecy, and the whole first part about judgment included the fact that the Babylonians would come and force the nation of Israel into exile. And you know what? The exact thing Isaiah said would happen happened 100 years later. That's how a, pro a prophet is confirmed as actually being a prophet of the Lord. So the people now sitting in the synagogue in Nazareth know what Isaiah said was going to come to pass. The first part happened exactly like Isaiah said. So this stump of out of the, the shoot out of the stump of the tree of Jesse, the King David's line, the suffering servant, all of it, they know the second half is going to come because the first half already did come to pass. 
He's been proven accurate. And so they know that this is gonna come, but this new thing that they've been longing for doesn't look like what I expected because it's in this familiar face that they watched grow up. It did not look like what they expected. And that's a really important moment in the launch of Jesus's ministry. And I emphasize again, because Jesus knew, hey, if I'm the fulfillment of this part of Isaiah, then I'm also the fulfillment of the suffering servant, the one who will be rejected and the one who will actually be sacrificed so that God's plan will come to pass. Jesus knew. And so he could face rejection in a way that kept him on God's path. That's really important. So part of our time in going through any piece of scripture, the big part is pondering and understanding the passage, looking at the person and the words and the posture of Jesus Christ, son of God, and pondering it. That is the rich and important part. A little part that we also like to do is to consider how we might be shaped by that. That's not the most important thing because scripture isn't about us, but it informs us and it shapes us. So this is a little piece. And I was thinking about this this week. I was talking about it actually with my mom. I was like, I, how does this shape us? I don't know, like this level of rejection by family. Like I was just, I don't know, I was processing through it. And she was actually the one who brought up, you know, I feel like I know a lot of people who come to faith in Jesus and face a different kind of rejection. Now here's where I have to walk with care because what I'm talking about here and pondering and letting it shape us is not putting us and our rejection on the same place as Jesus, son of God, son of man. Okay, so this is not a direct analogy and it doesn't make the passage about us. But I do want us to consider if we wanna be shaped by scripture, what does it look like to think when this might be something that you have experienced or you could help someone else who you've watched this. Maybe even over the holidays, right? You've come to faith and your family just like does not understand. My mom was reminding me um, of an example where um, when we were growing up, my pastor's name was Pastor Don. And Pastor Don was having a conversation with a man who had come to faith in Jesus. But he said to Pastor Don, like, I don't think people are gonna believe me because I was a really angry guy for a long time. And I don't think that people are gonna buy it that, that I'm a Christian now. And Pastor Don looked at him, he's like, if you were an angry guy, you're gonna be an angry Christian. But it's gonna, it's gonna take time. And you're gonna get forgiven and you're gonna mess up again. And you're gonna have the spirit to help you. But is it, you're still gonna yell sometimes when you're driving. Like we get to be forgiven again and again, but there's not some switch that goes off. And so there's this fear that people maybe won't believe me because they know the old me or they know something from my past. Maybe they have a hard time just accepting this change. I remember uh, talking to a friend years ago um, who had struggled, it wasn't a struggle for him at the time. He was actually an excellent shoplifter. He confessed like he literally never wore the same outfit once through his entire high school days. It was real bad, you guys, don't do it. And he had come to faith much later and uh, he had confessed this, he'd been forgiven and he stood in his forgiveness. He knew he was forgiven and that compulsion was something that he had worked through and wasn't an issue anymore. But anyway, his friends from those days they, like they had a really hard time buying it because they just, they, like they knew that guy who was really like about vanity and appearance and all of this. And it was like, it's really hard for them to accept that because they knew the old me. I have uh, also talked about somebody that I think is important too, uh, talked with somebody, I think there was a self-rejection there, which I think is something also for us to see, maybe, not, maybe in ourselves or maybe in someone else. She had had multiple abortions in her past and she was just like, I... I can get this close, but not this close to Jesus because 
because I, there's a limit. And you guys, that's not true. If you ever hear that in yourself or in somebody else, there's no, there's no such thing as, as a limit to the grace that can be covered by Jesus Christ. So I just want to say that. But anyway, I think there can be a self-rejection because I think in part, uh, never mind God, like she could never get too close to a community because she felt that, that self-rejection on herself, which is such a shame because that's exactly what grace is for, right? And so anyway, I think that this idea of, of what it looks like, maybe, maybe there's people in your lives who don't understand some of the choices that you're making now. Maybe they don't understand why you give financially to a church, uh, why you serve willingly on a Sunday morning. What? It's cold, you know, but like they don't get it. Or why you're investing so much time every week to gather with this group of people who aren't totally like your friend group, Right? And to be in life with these people who are really different, but it's because at our core, like we're, we're refining each other, right? So anyway, there are people who may not understand, may not be able to see the new work happening in you because, because they just don't know what to do with it. Similar to how the neighbors in Nazareth couldn't see the Messiah in the kid that they knew. Again, I'm not equating us to Jesus, but I just think that it's really wise for us to look out for whispers of rejection in ourselves or in others so we can see it. And remember, you guys, Jesus wasn't surprised by rejection. It was part of Isaiah's prophecy and part of what he knew he would fulfill. But what did Jesus do? Jesus kept moving forward in the plan that he knew that God had, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that had had since the beginning of time. He could keep moving forward regardless of rejection because the plan that he was a part of was so rich. And for all the nations, not just for the buddy system, right? It was so rich for all the nations. And that big storyline was so important. Jesus goes on later to say this in uh, Luke 6, 22, uh, yeah, 622 to 23. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the son of man, meaning because you're, you just have chosen to follow my way. They may not like it or get it, but you're still blessed when you stay on that path. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven for that's how their ancestor, ancestors treated the prophets. Jesus knew this. He knew that that was how the prophets were treated and that's how he was gonna be treated and he knew, I don't know to what detail of every little moment, but like he knew that it went all the way to the suffering servant who would be sacrificed on behalf of the very people who were rejecting him. I mean, think about it. Like Peter even rejected him, denied knowing him and yet was redeemed. I believe that Jesus goes all the way through for people who've rejected him in hopes that their minds might change down the road. So what does that mean for us? It means what does it mean to stay faithful in the path and hope that someone who might be rejecting us or rejecting Jesus might someday be able to see past that old familiar face and see that something new might just be happening. I think often about uh, just the, the concept that I read long ago in a book by Beth Felker Jones where I paraphrase her as saying this, like, do not give up on the living witness of the holy broken church because without her, how can we testify to God's grace? So do you struggle with anger and people can't see it? But what if they could see that there's something, something old being slowly made new? What if they see the fruit of that time you're spending with that community of weirdos that they don't understand? There's something beautiful because they're not weirdos. They're just really different maybe. And there's a beauty that comes from the refinement of that time. This is our testimony to grace. 
that when we're rejected or misunderstood for the decisions that we're making to follow Jesus and the way of Jesus, that we would stay on that path and know that God can take all the, the beauty and the broken and he can do something with it. Because God's bigger plan, the Isaiah picture plan, is for the healing of all nations. And if we're on that trajectory, we have that mindset of something that much bigger, then we can walk through moments of rejection and faithfulness and remembering that Jesus understands us so much more than we probably can even fathom. He faced rejection of a kind that we can't comprehend. What does it look like knowing that sometimes we could face some rejection to really take seriously this series that we're in and look at the person of Jesus? He knows the rejection from his friends and neighbors has happened, and he knows that that's a mini picture of about a kajillion rejections to come. He knows and he keeps moving forward. How can we learn from him? How can we taste and see the love and heart of God through the ministry of the Son? That's what we're gonna be doing a lot this year. Because Jesus has told us his yoke is easy and the burden he gives us is light. And what that means is that God through Christ, through the Holy Spirit, will help us when we face rejections of any kind so that we can stay on a path and hopefully, hopefully be a living witness as a holy broken people. Like, not holy broken, but like, you know, holy and broken can both be happening. And that is who we are. And that's a beautiful thing. So I'm gonna pray, and then uh, Emily's gonna lead us in a time of response. So Jesus, we, uh, we love you. And we confess that sometimes we reject you. Uh, even after we've chosen you, it happens sometimes. But we thank you that your grace just covers us and that every time we return, I, your answer is yes. And open arms, like the father of the prodigal son, the open arms are always there. And God, we long to be shaped by your word. We long to be shaped, Jesus, by your example. And Holy Spirit, we long to be shaped by your active, present work here in our midst. So continue to do, have your way with us uh, this morning and, and throughout the week to come. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.